Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Small Biz Brainiac. My name is Thomas Rock Lindsay, and this is the podcast that delivers employer intelligence in two episodes each week. I do the Tuesday episode, and my co-host Robert Attridge does the Thursday show. This is episode 124, Puerto Rico Labor Laws, Part 1. So I just returned from my very first trip to Puerto Rico last week, and I was super impressed at how beautiful and how lush the island is. I spent uh, three days in Las Palmas, which is on the southeast coast. And I also managed to get a private car tour of uh, old San Juan uh, since we had some time to burn on the way to the airport. Now, I would have loved to spend a day there walking the streets and and touring the fort because it was was beautiful. But I'll have to do that on the next trip. Now, although Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory and you can travel to and from the island without a passport... It's still a very unique place and very different from the rest of the United States, both culturally and regulatorily, especially when it comes to the labor market and the labor laws. Now, I recently covered some of the changes in their labor laws resulting from what is the largest labor reform ever with the passage of the Labor Transformation and Flexibility Act that happened on January 26, 2017, So in this episode, I wanted to provide even more information about Puerto Rico's labor laws. I guess you could call it uh, an in-depth overview. I mean, it's still an overview, but it's a little deeper, if that even makes sense. Even though I cover some of the same information from episode 106, uh, definitely go back and listen to that one after this. And then on episode 126, we'll have part two and who knows, maybe a part three to see how far we get. So what's motivating this episode, aside from my recent trip, is the opportunity to help businesses that are moving there as a result of the passage of Act 20 in 2012. So a lot of businesses are moving to the Commonwealth to take advantage of the incredible corporate and personal tax rates that are resulting from Act 20. Now, if you haven't heard about it, uh, go ahead and Google it. There's a lot of uh, great information available about Act 20, and I highly recommend that you um, learn more about it. In most cases, um, these businesses that are relocating will be hiring employees, and in fact, they're required to employ five full-time equivalents within the first six months of operation. Now, although I'm told that there are efforts underway to eliminate that requirement, but for now, it's that's still the, the rule. So Act 20 didn't actually require this. It's the Department of Economic Development and Commerce that came out with this rule after the act was passed. Now, originally, they only required three employees, but now it's five. And at least now with that change, owners who are paid a market rate salary can be counted towards that number. According to a study that was commissioned by the DEDC in 2014, the Act 20 has created 3,713 direct full-time jobs, 
with an average salary of $45,000 a year. And that's pretty awesome because the average annual salary in Puerto Rico was only 2000 well, 2000, 27,500 in 2014. So that's tremendous. So the first thing you need to know and understand about Puerto Rico is that it's not an employment at will jurisdiction. Then that's unfortunate because this means that you you can't terminate an employee unless you have just cause. So by law when you hire someone there, you're entering into a contract and that employment contract is defined as any oral or written agreement by which the employee binds himself or herself to execute work, perform labor, or render a service to you in exchange for wages or any other economic remuneration. And if you have an employee handbook, it also becomes a part of that contract. So unless you have a written contract specifying the term or the length of employment, then the term is considered indefinite And again, you can only terminate for just cause. Thankfully, however, there is a probationary period of nine months, except for executive, administrative, and professional employees, basically the the FLSA uh, exempt classification. For those employees, it's 12 months. So during this probationary period, you can terminate your employee without cause. So basically, it's at will for the first nine months months or 12 months, depending on the employee type. And then after that, you're in it until you have just cause to let them go. Now, that's actually a huge change from before the Labor Transformation and Flexibility Act, because before the reform, the probationary period was only 90 days. And it had to be in writing. It had to be a written agreement. And if your employee worked before actually executing the agreement, then the agreement didn't apply. So Now it's either 9 or 12 months, and it doesn't have to be in writing. It's just presumed. So after the probationary period, again, you can only terminate for just cause. But what is just cause? Well, generally, it's when your employee either engages in a pattern of improper or disorderly conduct, or they're not efficient, or they work belatedly or negligently, or in violation of a quality standard for the product that's produced or handled by them or your company, or they've repeatedly violated reasonable rules that you establish for the operation of your business, as long as you gave them a written copy of those, again, reasonable rules before the violation. Now, there are situations where you have to terminate employees, and it's not because you you want to or because they there's been misconduct or behavior issues or performance issues, you have to do it because you're either closing your doors or you need to reorganize. Maybe there's a new technology that's streamlining the operations and you're eliminating certain positions, or you're just uh, having a hard time and you need to cut back. So in these cases, uh, you have just cause as long as you make the terminations by seniority in accordance with what's called Act 80. I'm not going to get into those details, but just know if you find yourself in that situation, you need to make sure that you're following, again, those rules set forth by Act 80. So you can see that documentation of these causes is very important because guess what happens if you don't have just cause and you terminate an employee? You get to pay them a lot of severance. I'm talking big severance. How much severance? Well, 
there are two different formulas for calculating this statutory severance, thanks to the Labor Transformation and Flexibility Act. Before the act, there was just one, but now there are two. So for employees hired after January 26, 2017, you have to pay this masada, which is the Spanish for severance, of three months, plus two weeks' salary for each year worked. I mean, that's huge. Uh, unfortunately, it caps at nine months. I say fortunately, but still, that's a lot. So again, it's uh, three months plus two weeks of salary for every year worked. And employees have up to one year from termination to make a claim for this. Um, however, employees that were terminated before the act have three years to make their claim. Now, before the Labor Transformation and Flexibility Act, there were three different calculations for the severance, and it was based on how long they've been employed. And And in cases where employees have been employed up to five years, the new formula actually pays them more than the old formula. But at least there's that cap. And unlike the old law, and this is, this is huge too, uh, you can negotiate a lower amount with your employee in lieu of having to fight over it. Uh, plus, you are no longer presumed to have discriminated when you when you terminate someone without cause, like the old law. So in other words, the presumption of guilt is taken from you and the burden is shifted to the employee to prove that you did discriminate. And this is in line with you know federal anti-discrimination law, so it's much easier now for employers to to administer. So remember, though, that e- even if you have employees that are hired before the act, the old law still applies to them. So tons of fun keeping track of the two sets of laws, right? All right, I'm almost out of time here, but I think we have we can cover one more thing. We'll talk about minimum wage. We've talked about uh, the employment contract, the probationary period, just cause for terminations, and severance. So now we'll talk about minimum wage, and then we'll get to the rest in episode 126. So the minimum wage in Puerto Rico is the federal minimum of 7.25 an hour. Prior to 1974, Congress kept Puerto Rico's minimum wage below the federal minimum. And then by 1983, it moved to be in sync with the federal minimum. And over that time, the effect on the economy has been devastating. At the current rate, the minimum wage is 77% of the median wage. And that's huge. Because what do you think happens when you raise the price of even the most basic labor? When it goes too high, it goes away. The ratio of this minimum wage to median income in in all the other states is between 35 and 50%. There was a study by Alita Castillo Freeman and Richard Freeman, and they concluded that subjecting Puerto Rico to the federal minimum wage reduced employment in the territory by 8 to 10%. And more recently, the inability to find jobs has driven Puerto Ricans to emigrate. And according to a Pew Research Center study, Puerto Rico's experienced a net emigration or outflow of 144,000 people, equivalent to 13% of the labor force since 2010. I got that information from policy analyst Preston Cooper's article in economics21.org. And his source was the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Freeman Report. Now, I've said it before, minimum wage kills jobs. The history of the minimum wage is exactly that. It was used to keep certain people unemployed. And this practice is called eugenics. And it's something I learned from Jeffrey Tucker 
of the Foundation for Economic Education at last year's Freedom Fest. And he gave a speech on eugenics, and it shocked me. It was the first time I had heard it. And after his speech, we talked a little bit about the minimum wage, and he told me that the minimum wage laws were started as a eugenics policy. And in fact, he has a great article on the subject called The Eugenics Plot of the Minimum Wage. So you should check it out. There's a link to it in the show notes if you're interested. Well, there you have it. If you want to know the eight steps to reducing your employer liability, go to smallbizbrainiac.com and get a copy of my free report. And as always, if you have any questions about today's episode, please go again to smallbizbrainiac.com, scroll down to Got Questions, and fire away. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac.